The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Now, uh, I want to give you just a little heads up that for um, this next session, um, we're going to have to go into a bit of detail because of the nature of the description of jhana. And so some of this isn't necessarily all going to stick, but um, you'll have, you've got your notes here. Um, there's a lot in here in definition. And, and some of the things I'll point out, if you're interested in the topic, might be good to learn, memorize, and others you can kind of just let it go. And then when we come in the afternoon, we'll back off. We won't be into all this minutia as much. We're just looking more at bigger concepts. Okay. So just know a little bit. Not everything we'll do in the next half hour will be like that, but some. Okay. So if you turn in your notes to page five, where it says jhana in the Pali Suttas, so jhana is always defined by a set formula. And I have the formula here where it says jhana definition. So, um, as we'll see, the definition is open to a lot of interpretation about what the actual meditative state is like. And so, as we begin, I just want to read something from Ajahn Tanisaro, uh, where he was interviewed about... By the way, I'm reading these out of these books. The way this book is organized, the first half of the book I wrote, it's really... A lot more detail, but it's as some of you have, I know have seen this book, but um, really what we're covering today. And the second half of the book, there's interviews with these eight different teachers who are well-known teachers. Jack Cornfield's in there, Ajahn Tanisro, others. Some lay and some monastic. And I particularly picked teachers not only who were well-known, but who are all over the map so we can see where they're coming from. So I thought that they, the, inter- the interviews came out very interestingly. Here's what Ajahn Tanisro said. I asked them the question... On, um, wh- I said, why do you think there's so much disagreement and controversy around the topic of samadhi? And I'm particularly bringing this up because of, you'll see how it relates to jhana. And he said, well, there are two basic considerations. First, the tradition talks about samadhi in so many different ways. And particularly if you take the Pali canon, and that's the suttas, on one side, and the commentaries, the Vasudhimaga, on the other, they are really talking about two very different things. When you read the descriptions of nimitta and jhana in the canon, they're very different from the nimitta and the jhana you find in the commentary. So you can see he kind of comes down on this. There's other teachers in here who are saying the opposite, but uh, uh, he kind of feels the way I do when you look at the suttas. Um, by the end of the day, you'll get to make your own decisions. The Vasudhimaga uses a very different paradigm for concentration from what you find in the canon. That begs the question, why do the commentaries differ so radically? Nobody knows. Secondly, second, there's a much larger issue, which is, given that we're talking about purely mental states, each person's sense of the map inside the mind is going to be different. When I use a term and you use a term, there's no guarantee that we're actually talking about the same thing. Once when I was camping in Utah, we went to Powell Point. We had a guidebook and thought we were following the road to Powell Point, but we made a wrong turn somewhere and came out at Henderson Canyon instead. 
We walked out to the end of the point there and tried to identify the landmarks the guidebook said you could see from the end of Powell Point, the Henry Mountains and so forth. The one problem was that there was a very large cliff off to the east, which wasn't mentioned in the book. After about 15 minutes, we realized that the cliff was Powell Point and we had made a wrong turn. So the next day we went up to Powell Point and the hills we had originally thought were the Henry Mountains were something else entirely. The Henry Mountains were much further east. The problem was that we had been standing at the wrong place, so our sense of the landscape was all skewed. You've got the same issue with people meditating, or even worse. When you talk about meditative experiences, who knows if we're standing on the same point? There are so many different points you can stand on and so many states that are radically different but fit the same verbal description. That's true. What makes it worse is that even if the Powell point of the mind were right to your east, you wouldn't be able to see it. So we want to hold all this lightly. (laughs) So what I want to do here is um, take... Let me see here for just a moment. I want to take a look at the jhana definition. Jhana is defined, as I said, always by the jhana definition. uh, Repeated a number of times throughout the suttas, all over the place. And also, right samadhi, when it says right samadhi is jhana, it uses this definition too. We're going to see in just a short while, there's also what are called jhana similes. And they're in there a lot of the time, not all the time. Sometimes it's just this definition, and sometimes it's a definition with the full similes. And similes are very beautiful. You'll see them, and they really help the description. One thing I would say, I want us to actually read this together, but um, I want to just point out one thing important. This is my own translation. So if you read, but most people read would be, the Bhikkhu Bodhi translation, which is in the Middle Length Discourses, the uh, Wisdom Publications Brown book. Right Now, uh, obviously, Bhikkhu Bodhi is a world-renowned Pali scholar, and I know, you know some Pali. And <laughs> but, uh, so I just want to point out the difference there is um, this is more technically accurate, and um, um, it's not that Bhikkhu Bodhi doesn't know way, way more than I do on Pali. He made some, uh, I guess, literary or some kind of decisions uh, that he knew what he was doing so that um, his definition actually comes out with a meaning that's less accurate. If you read Handful of Leaves, which is Anjan Tanisro's, it'll look closer to my definition because his, is, his and mine are more technically accurate. So just to keep that in mind, this is my translation. So there on page five of your notes where it says John, a definition... I wonder if someone would care to read. We're just going to read right down for one to four short little paragraphs. Some of these paragraphs just one sentence each. Yes, please. Jhana definition. Quite secluded from sensual pleasures. Secluded from unwholesome states. A monk enters and abides in the first jhana, which is characterized by rapture and pleasant born of seclusion, pleasure born of seclusion, and accompanied by thought and examination. With the stilling of thought and examination, he enters and abides in the second jhana, which is characterized by rapture and pleasure born of concentration, 
and accompanied by inner composure and singleness of mind without thought and examination. With the fading away of rapture, he abides in equanimity, mindful and clearly aware, feeling pleasure with the body. He enters and abides in the third jhana, of which the noble ones declare, equanimous and mindful, he abides in pleasure. With the abandoning of pleasure and pain, and with the previous disappearance of joy and grief, he enters and abides in the fourth jhana, which has neither pain nor pleasure, and purity of mindfulness and equanimity. Yeah, okay, so stop there. Thank you. So that's the jhana definition. And we're going to look at it in some detail here, um, but just at first glance, um, it's not that clear. You know, a lot of these terms, I've made some translations on some of the poly terms we're going to see getting it translated in different ways. Some of the terms, we actually don't know what the original intended meaning was at the time. And I'm going to point out some of those. That probably the meaning was understood at the time these, these were being developed or were composed. And, and things were just understood. Um, and now it's open to some interpretations. And again, because of every different way we can interpret the jhana, you can actually have those experiences. There's all, all those are real experiences. Right. Um, I'm going to, once we look at this, I'm going to offer up a, my own definition on jhana that actually includes, has one sort of basic feature of a, of a level of concentration and then would include many, many different types of jhanas once you cross that threshold. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Okay, so we had that definition. Now, um, if you continue on page five of your notes, I want to point out um, several important things here. Um, it, to understand jhana, it's, you can't just look at the definition alone because there's other places in the suttas that add explanation. And so, um, now, were they added later? Was it with the original? I don't know about all that. I'm just trying to say, can we come up with some kind of coherent or cogent idea from the suttas? So, if you, uh, I mentioned this um, Mahavedala Sutta, it specifies certain elements from the definition as jhana factors. The term jhana factor is not in the definition, but jhana factors are talked about a lot. You know, so you should just be aware that there's these five things called jhana factors. And it's up to you if you want to go memorize the list of them or not. But you'll hear them talked about a lot. And what they basically, we're going to take a look at them in more detail, but... Um, I quoted here, it just says how many factors, it says there's five, and we're going uh, to look at the poly on these. We don't have to memorize, know a lot of poly, you don't have to memorize any. You don't have to know a lot of poly, but I'm going to need to go back to the poly on, on these words, even if you don't remember them, because I've, defi- I've translated them a certain way, and we want to look at the range of ways they're understood. But basically, there's these five things. There's thought, examination, rapture, pleasure, and unification of mind, five things. 
By the way, that term, a unification of mind, that's what we talked about at the very beginning this morning. A kagata in Pali, as we'll see. It can also be translated as one-pointedness. That's the term that can be understood either as that narrow, exclusive, fixed, one-pointed concentration or where the flow of experiences stops or the open, more spacious, inclusive awareness where the mind stops but all the experiences are happening, right? I've translated it here as unification of mind because for a number of reasons that we're going to look at, um, I think that the suttas are talking about that open. But that's an area of controversy. So there's that standard list of five factors. As I say in your notes there, the first four are in the definition itself, the thought, examination, rapture, and pleasure. And the fifth is not in the standard formula. It's in the list of jhana factors, which is in this other sutta, that unification of mind. However, as I point out near the bottom of page five, there's another term which is similar to ekagata, which is a kodibhava, which is becoming one, which I call singleness of mind. And that's in the definition of the second jhana when, you, when, when we read um, uh, singleness of mind. That's what I translate. So it, it's there, kind of. One la- so basically from that, we've got the jhana definition, then we've got this list of five jhana factors, and then we've got one other thing that's important. There's an um, Anupada Sutta, which is at the very bottom of page five, and I give you the sutta reference there. It actually lists 11 other qualities in addition to the five jhana factors that are present in all the jhanas. So it's starting to get complicated. But the good news is you don't have to remember all this. What we want to do is kind of get an understanding of what it's talking about. And then you just want to forget all this stuff because in practice it becomes very simple and clear. It's experiential. Remember, we're looking at the texts now to inform our practice. Then we're going to let go of these texts. right? So So you don't have to memorize this list of 11. I don't know this list of 11. I don't know anybody who's somebody, probably Tan Jeff's memorized it. But But the one thing I want to point out here, it says, look at it, there's sense contact, feeling, perception, volition, mind, intention, determination, energy. There's all these things. And and, and I've I've summarized it here, but basically those those are present in all the jhanas. Later this afternoon, when we look at the controversies around jhanas, we want to go back and see the suttas are telling us all of these qualities are there. It's not just this fixed one point. There's a lot. There's sense contact. There's volition. That's an active quality of mind. There's intention. There's determination. There's mindfulness. All of these qualities have been brought together, and that's going to help us later when we're looking this afternoon again. We'll come back when we look at the, um, at the controversies. But that, that's telling us a lot, right? There's a lot going on there. Okay. All four, right. Yes, and I just I just summarize it here. If you want to go look, it's in this book. If you want to, you can either go up there and even if you're not buying it, just flip through and find it, or go to Majjhima Nikaya Middle Link Discourses 111.4, and you can find it there for yourself. All four jhanas, right? Okay. Okay, so far? Okay. 
what I'd like to do now is we're going to spend the most of this next little section. Mostly we're going to focus on the first jhana. And then the, the other ones will be able to work through much quicker. What I want to do on the first jhana is if you go to page six on your notes... We're going to do two things. We're going, to, we're going to look up at the top there at the jhana definition with the simile. And then we're going to go through the five jhana factors and then we'll have it. Okay? Would someone read where it says on page six of your notes, first jhana definition with simile? Anyone care to read? First jhana definition with simile. Quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, a monk enters and abides in the first jhana, which is characterized by rapture and pleasure born of seclusion and accompanied by thought and examination. He makes the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion drench, steep, fill, and pervade his body, this body so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Just as a skilled bathman or a bathman's apprentice heaps bath powder in a metal basin and sprinkling it gradually with water, kneads it till the moisture wets his ball of bath powder, soaks it and pervades it inside and out, yet the ball itself does not ooze. So too, a biku, a biku makes the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion, drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Okay, so stop there. All right. So I love these similes. They're very beautiful. We're going to look at them for all four jhanas. And it tells us a lot. It tells us a lot both about the nature of the state of jhana, but also about the way to attain jhana. So these similes are important. So the first part, it just repeated the definition that we already read earlier. And then it starts adding this image of the bath man. And he's basically making soap. He's taking powder. And he's slowly mixing in water till the water and the powder have kind of, it's transformed. It's this other thing, right? So they've mixed together. It soaks it, it pervades it inside it out, right? And it's really transformed into this new thing called soap. You can't find powder and you can't find water. I mean, there, you could if you had a you know, chemist or whatever could, but they're all, this is one thing. So it's telling us that these uh, and we're going to look at these jhana factors, uh, uh, rapture and pleasure and all that in a, in a few moments. But basically you're taking these jhana factors and you're suffusing them through your body deeply, intimately. Interesting, I said earlier that jhana in the Vasudhimaga is a state where there is no awareness of the body. You're disconnected from the body. We're actually going to look at, well, how can they say that? That's going to be one of the controversies this afternoon. We're going to come right here. Well, what is the sutta? Sutta certainly, at least now, so far this morning, isn't it telling us? Boy, this is the opposite. It's not only connected with the body, it's intimately connected with the body. In fact, it's tied very much into the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the mindfulness of the body and everything, right? This is what we're talking about, is that the awareness is deeply 
mindful, connected into the body. I'm, this is going to be a clue to help us see how the Satipatthana, Four Foundations of Mindfulness, Sutta, how does it fit in with Samadhi and Jhana? Right? I think they're very closely connected. So the way to get into Jhana, then, I think it's saying is, is that, the, that we take these Jhana factors and consciously immerse them through the body. Or they can, sometimes if we practice in a certain way, it can actually happen on its own. Right? Again, this is different. Vasudhimaga was saying when you were going into fixed concentration, this nimitta would arise in the mind and you would let go of awareness of the breath or the body or anything and you put all your awareness on this mental image and kind of a, you really kind of absorb into the mental image. Right? In the kind of practice that I'm talking about with this breath meditation, you actually do the opposite. Take the nimitta and bring it into the body. It's still all there, but it's just handled in a different way. It's kind of the opposite. We'll say a lot more about that later. Yeah. You use the verb pervade. Yeah. Um, and immersion. And I understand very well an effortless around immersion and and pervading. Um, And yet the simile um, seems to imply a conscious amount of right effort. Right, right. Um, Can you bring those together in your experience? Yes. And we're actually going to get into that uh, when we look at the jhana factors in a moment too. But you're right. That's that's an important point you're bringing up. I was actually just getting ready to kind of get into that. that. So the image is the bath man is working, needing. So there's a certain amount of work getting into jhana, right? We have to work and work and work. Once the bath, it doesn't actually say this here, but just, so this is just me now talking. Once, the, once you've got soap, is the bath man sitting there working, working, working? No, it's just, here's your soap. The water now is pervaded in the powder. You're not working to pervade it, but the pervasion, the immersion is there. So you have to work to pervade it. You have to work to immerse it, immerse it. And then that's the state. So I think that what this is talking about, once again, this is just my own interpretations, is it's talking about the way to get there does require work. And then we end up in a state that has the same characteristics of being pervaded, but the work drops away. And we'll actually see in the deeper jhanas in just a few moments that the... Uh, that simile shifts to where it's, it's now explicit. There's not any doing. It's just the being and happening. Is it possible to work too hard? Yes. And that's why I said earlier, and I only mentioned it briefly, I should have spent more time on it. You know, if we were on a retreat, we'd spend a lot of time emphasizing right effort. And so right effort, I'll just say again, is you obviously have to make... So if we... If we put in too much effort, we can get tense, we can overstrive, tight. Uh, it, that's a samadhi killer. <laughs> and matter of fact, there are plenty of people who, probably in a group this size, some of you, you know, there's nothing wrong if, you, if, you're, if I'm about to describe you. Uh, uh, we just need to know how to work with it, who tend to overstrive. You know, I'm going to 
and 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 I'm going to and they they're the best yogis, right? They do it perfectly and they work hard and I'm really going to do it. But that overstriving is actually a, an agitation of mind. And once the samadhi starts kicking in, one of the things that happens is it starts to happen on its own. It's like a momentum hicks hicks in and then it just starts. It's like a snowball. You know, you build a snowball and you make it and you get it going and you kind of keep pushing it and but if it gets enough whatever, it just takes off and all that it builds strength. So the same thing happens with this, and, and really when you get into jhana, you can't do. It's too much of the mind. You're there, the mindfulness is there, the awareness is everything, but it's just kind of going. So uh, leading into it, but here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the flip side of it. If we realize we're, we're over-efforting and we say, okay, bring some wisdom, I need to back off, good, but we can get too far the other extreme where we stop trying. We kind of just space out and we don't do anything. So it's kind of the art, as many, as many people here know, of meditation. And you know what? I don't know if we'll ever have it. You won't, until it starts happening on its own, this is my own experience, you may not be perfect. Sometimes you're going to over-effort a little. Okay, you suffer a little. Then we back off. Then, oh, I need to bring the effort back in. So we're always adjusting. Um, I think a big piece, and this is getting more practice-oriented, which we're not, uh, uh, which we're not getting into so much today, but a real important piece is is staying tuned to the as, as it strengthens, you can state to stay tuned to how it's kicking in on its own a little more, and to let go into that a little bit, and you still have to maybe make some effort, but it, you're kind of playing that edge a little, and the part that takes over more on its own can catch in a little more, and that letting go happens. And there's actually sometimes that can happen for jhana where you've been working and you've been doing that, and then, but it's still not. And then the mind just spaces out and you comp- and then drops into jhana because of letting go. You actually have lost it and go, but something just lets go and it can go in. So that's a thing that's I've experienced that that can happen. So other people have to. So. so that's a whole big topic about that would be something like if we're do, if we're doing a retreat or practicing, we'd spend a lot of time on how to practice. So okay. Um, so, and another big piece is the transformational quality of, of, the, of the image. It's not just describing it, but the idea of the transforming that happened there and that concentration in these jhana factors, how it transformed the mind is very, very important. Okay. So now what I'd like to do is back off the simile and just look at the definition itself and actually look at the jhana factors, Okay. So we're still on page six of your notes. So it starts off quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states. Um, we just didn't, I've skipped over it. I don't even know if I put it in your notes, but there's a whole piece around um, what's in the texts about setting up the conditions for cultivating samadhi. I just didn't put it in your notes there. But... Um, Part of it is around the hindrances. If you're not familiar with them, I'm not going to get into that topic much here, but you know these places where the mind's just agitated or can't settle down. When you're in samadhi, when the samadhi gets stronger, this, as we said, excess concentration in the Vasudhi Maga, it, the, uh, the hindrances are suppressed temporarily. Um, so similarly, uh, we want to... It basically happens two ways. It happens through an abandoning and a suppressing. And it's just kind of seeing what works. So sometimes we need to strengthen the concentration and then the, then the 
uh, and that's what secludes us from the central pleasures and unwholesome states because we're more absorbed in the samadhi. But until we get there, we need to um, have an external seclusion. When, we, when it's samadhi, it's an internal seclusion. But in the beginning, we need to external. So it means maybe I go on retreat. Or in daily life, and you can uh, have jhana, for example, in daily life practice for sure. Um, um, maybe you have a place where there's maybe a little quieter you meditate. You know, maybe we don't, you know, you know, read your, for those of you who are lucky enough to have financial portfolios, which is not true for everyone, so that's a whole, those of you do, you don't read it before you meditate. <laughs> Maybe you don't read it a few months before you meditate. <laughs> I'm saying, in other words, you don't need to turn on, you know, whatever. Right. You want to keep, so externally you want to see what helps the mind settle down. That's all it's talking about there. External and internal seclusion, but we, we just aren't getting into detail there. Okay. The first of the two jhana factors are what I translated as thought and examination. In your notes, you can see it's Vitaka Vichara. Some of you have heard it from the Burmese. They pronounce the V's as W's, Vitaka Vichara. I pronounce them as V's, Vitaka Vichara, just like Vipassana. I don't say Vipassana, I say Vipassana. So if you look, look there, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, I went through a lot of different texts and different translators to see how they would translate. And just look at the range here. Well, before we look at them, I should say this. They should be taken as a, as a phrase and taken together, not as individual terms. Um, 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 vitaka is sometimes used alone in the suttas, not much, but the term vichara rarely is used. And again, I talked with a uh, same guy I mentioned earlier who's a scholar of early Buddhism, and he's a Pali scholar, and he said definitely they're meant as a, as a term, as a phrase, not as individual words. So, listen to the range, how they're translated, reflection and investigation, thinking and pondering, thought and examination, applied and sustained thought, thought conception and discursive thinking, connecting and sustaining, initial and sustained mental application, directed thought and evaluation. That's a lot of different meanings. Two main meanings I pull out of this. One is, we even had the term there, connecting and sustaining, right? That's one of the, actually, it, it, in, in the Vasudhi Magas, we'll see, that's exactly what they define it as. It's the act of connecting the mind onto the meditation and then sustaining it there. That's what the Vasudhi Magga says. And if you go to IMS, for example, that's where a lot of the teachers would say it's connecting and sustaining. That's coming from the Vasudhi Magga. Um, another meaning that's there is could be things like um, some kind of mental activities, thinking, reflecting, or that, that's part of the meaning there. Uh, there's a huge controversy over... Um, how it should be interpreted. Um, and because there's a big controversy in the jhana, def- it, when, when, when I use the definition in the Vasudhi Magga, I use connecting and sustaining because that's what they mean. But 
here you see I've, I've translated it as thought and examination because that's actually very close to the actual. If you look at the real roots and the sort of the etymologically what the words mean, it's thought and examination. And just from looking in the words, it's hard to get away from a sense of some kind of either discursive thinking or mental activity of some sort in those there. You, from the, just from the meaning of the word alone, you, you just can't get away from it. Um, and in fact, I'll just mention that, well, let me just say there, that there, I won't go into detail here, cause, but um, there is some support in the suttas. You'll have to look at this book if you want to get in more. But there is place in the suttas that strengthen the idea that it really does mean some kind of mental activity more than discursive statement. Um, of everything we're going to talk about today, Vitaka Vichara is the one that's the least, we're just not going to be able to make a definitive. I'm just pointing out sort of a range of how it's understood. And so people can legitimately then be talking about jhana and can legitimately say, in jhana there's no thinking. And someone else can say, well, in jhana, at least the first jhana, we're going to see it drops away in the second jhana, that there, that there, that there uh, is some kind of thinking. The way I think of it is that because there's a unification of mind that's happening, which is, we're using a word that's hard to describe. As a matter of fact, I noticed, as I said unification of mind, I, I, my hands, I brought them together. I needed a visual to help there. There is some kind of, it, it, when you experience these states, it's distinctive. I mean, you really know something's happening. Um, the mind comes, matter of fact, I need a, here's the way. The, I need not only a visual, but a verbal. Uh, the mind goes, clunk. <laughs> Something, it all feels like it's coming together in some way that's unified. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you can really experience it. So the way I would say it is, certainly there is some connecting and sustaining activity that happens because the mind is connected and sustained there. But there may be other, matter of fact, we already saw in that list of 11, there's a lot of other qualities that are there in the jhana. Remember, there's that uh, sense contact and there's intention and everything. So... Let's just put it this way, that at the very least, regardless of how we interpret the words, all the activities of the mind have lined up towards one way. We'll just say it that way. Uh, Yeah, I guess I was curious what you mean exactly by thinking. Like, do you mean like observing thoughts as they come up? Because it would seem strange to be in a jhana and be carried away by the thinking. Right. Yeah, I'm not talking about, you're not carried away if you're in a jhana. There's no question about that. But, yeah, so thoughts can be happening. There can be thoughts coming up. It's almost like thoughting. Right. Yeah, but that's true. That's a good distinction. You say so. I, we we we, don't, we can spend more time. My intention wasn't to spend too much time on Vitaka Vichar because it's a hard one to get a. But it's but yeah, you wouldn't. It's 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 definitely not lost in thought, but the process of of thoughts, verbal quality of thought, is is one way you can think of Vitaka Vichar. Yeah, but it would be known. But it's but it's not that it ceased to happen.
So anyway, the, the bottom line is, you know, how much, depending on how we want to define jhana, how much mental activity do we think is going on? Remember that this thing called one-pointedness of unification of mind is happening. So this is an interesting point. If our awareness is one-pointed, can't have any thinking going on, right? That's other activity. Everything is just the mind so concentrated on the point, no, nothing else can happen. There's just, say, bliss or whatever, light. That's if the mind is stopped in this, what I'm calling unification of mind, as we mentioned earlier, Mind's utterly still, unmoving, but all the other activities, then thoughts could arise out of that and be known. And the mind's just as still. It's a different type of stillness. So depending on how we define it. uh, Yeah, Steve. This thought just... I think it's voice activated. Um, this This thought just came into my mind. But we're talking a lot about the jhanas and composition of it. I know in the suttas it also says that one of the four imponderables is the jhanas themselves. Right. Do you want to comment on that? Yes. Um, I t- yes. Yeah, so so yeah. Though that's very important. So it's talking about the range of experiences. Actually, you know, it's not talking about ways of interpreting the texts. It's talking about the range of what can be experienced in jhanas. One is one of what's called uh, one of the four imponderables. And there's three other imponderables in there. And basically it's things where the Buddha said two things about it. It's imponderable because he said, number one, you can't figure it all out. It's too much. And secondly, if you do, it's, he said it would be to your detriment. Basically it would kind of blow your mind. So just don't even try to figure it all out. So that's if we take this then and we try to bring it into practice as a big range of what can actually happen with people. Um, it's the point in looking at the text, the, the, my point of this is that because the whole point of doing this whole project was because it's not clear out there, we wanted to kind of just take a look, see the best we can of what it's saying, have it inform our practice, and then, it was like I said earlier, then we don't want to be thinking about these texts, then you kind of let it go, and we, we kind of, it's informed how we practice. That's the important thing. And again, remember this little section we're in right now, we're kind of getting into minutia, and then we're going to pop out of the minutia for the rest of the day. Okay, so that's the first two jhana factors. Okay. Second two, Pali there, piti sukha. And you can see that piti is translated variously as rapture, bliss, joy, delight, zest, exuberance. Those are the only ones I could find. There might be more. And sukha is pleasure, happiness, joy, agreeable, pleasure. Oops, I repeated pleasure. Sorry about that. And bliss. So you can see there's some overlap in how, how they've been um, uh, understood. Uh, Vasudhimaga says that, uh, it has a particular way, but we're, but, which many of you have heard, but let that go for now. The, the way I would say it is, is that, to me, the PT is more bliss. It's more intense. And then it drops down to a subtler level, which is the sukha, which is, can be translated as happiness or pleasure. Um, so basically, if you want to say rapture or bliss, would be a, I would say it would be a good one for PT, and it's very intense. 
And sukha can be mental or physical. It actually does not say in the sutta. The Vasudhimaga, as we say, does, does say. Um, in the third jhana, we'll see it defines sukha as purely physical. Uh, what I've done is just in the notes here is uh, in the jhana definition, I've translated it as pleasure in order to emphasize its connection with the body. There are some suttas that aren't in your notes here that where I've translated as happiness that emphasizes the mental quality more because it, different suttas are emphasizing different ways. So basically, we've got these four things. We've got vitaka vichara, you know, thought and examination, connecting and sustaining, whatever. Best to leave them untranslated, I would say. And then we've got piti and sukha, bliss, and then happiness or pleasure. Then we've got one last... Um, one, and that's uh, ekagata, ekagata, which um, is what we've been talking about along as one-pointedness, as singleness, as unification of mind. And again, I don't. I think I've got. I don't need to say this again for the fifth time. Right? There's these two different ways that it's understood: narrow or open. What I call exclusive, and it's not a judgment on that name, but I'm just saying exclusive or inclusive awareness, right? That's what I was talking about. Some of you came in later. Yeah? Yes. So when I'm looking at this one-pointedness and this kind of single um, unification of mind, um, it kind of makes me think of like, isn't that kind of like bringing the mind to stillness in in either case? Yes. It's a stillness. Right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we would say the mind has come to to the fourth jhana, you've come to the peak of stillness. Right. First jhana is not the peak of stillness, as we're going to see that vitaka vichara drops away to go into the second jhana. So no matter how we interpret it, what, no matter what kind of mental activity, it's gone in the second jhana. So we hit, by the time you hit the fourth jhana, you've hit the peak of stillness. But there, so it's not a question of the degree, between, say, Vasudhimaga and the way we're talking about the sutta. It's not a question of the degree, like if you lose awareness of the body and you've kind of absorbed into this nimitta like Pawak or something, that's not a stronger concentration than one where the mind's unmoving but is aware. It's a different type of stillness. There are two different types of stillness. One, the mind is not moving, and but you can still have experiences happening. It's like I love the way you said it. Thoughts can be arising and passing away, and it's just known, and, you know, the mind is still and unmoving. The other one is there's no awareness of anything because you've gotten so focused on this point, no other consciousness can get a wedge in there. Different types of stillness. And experientially, you can experience these different types. So they're all real. And you can see if you got narrowly focused down on in one way, you would have to come out of that state in order to turn the mind to this other practice called insight meditation, like in the Vasudhimana. Right? You're so on a... 
And you can see how if the mind were open, but still, but knowing of experiences that the inside and the mindfulness and all that doesn't, you don't have to come out of a jhana to a lesson concentration that's in there. It's just different styles, right? They're different styles. And in fact, again, this afternoon we're going to look at um, where the, 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 the suttas are actually explicit that the insight happens in the jhana. Well, close to explicit. <laughs> so that's the main thing there. There's two ways to interpret it. And again, we're going to come later to look and say, I'm, I'm already starting to call the sutta jhana what I call this inclusive, the unification of mind. But, but we, we're actually going to get to some things later to say, uh, I haven't actually shown that, that that's what the suttas are talking about yet. So, but I'm going ahead and talking that way. Um, okay. Quick summary. This is John a definition? Basically, it just said, having secluded from these unwholesome states, you experience the first four jhana factors. That's what it said. Rapture, pleasure, and vitaka vichara, which I call thought and examination. That's what it said was in there. And then it gave us more information because there's this jhana simile, which is repeated, as I said, a lot of places in the suttas, not just one. Maybe, I don't know, maybe 25, 30, 35% of the time, the, the definition has the simile with it. And it shows us this image of it being very connected in with body awareness, or with the body. And we've got this list of jhana factors, four of them were actually in the definition here from another sutta. And then there's this other place that actually says there's these 11 other qualities that are in the sutta too, which we don't really care about for now, but uh, we'll come back to to say what's, you know, when we get into the controversies. Intention. So that's all. There it is. That's it. The worst thing you could do would be if you're meditating, looking out for these things. Okay, is this happening? Is that happening? Is this? Trust me on it. If you're doing that, first of all, you're not in jhana, (laughs) and you're not practicing in a way that's going to. Trust me on that. I'm speaking from experience. Because it's just an agitation of the mind. If, if looking at this, by the way, the idea for the day is when you leave, the mind's not filled with too much, but a lot of stuff's dropped away and you just feel like you have a sense of clarity and knowing. About, okay, I think I basically understand what's happening and I know how I want to practice. Okay. So we'll look quickly at the second jhana, page seven of your notes. You guys hanging in there okay? It's going to get easier now. That was the stickiest part. We we went through that and now we're going to pop out better. So right under where it says second jhana, there's the, um, I'm going to ask someone to read the, the simile down there, but basically let me just point this out. It says with the stilling of thought and examination, vitaka vichara, connecting, sustaining, whatever you call it, is dropped away. You enter and abide in the second jhana, which is characterized by a rapture and pleasure born of concentration before it was born of seclusion. We'll we'll say what that means. In the first jhana, it was born of seclusion. And now it's accompanied by inner composure, singleness of mind, without thought and examination. 
As you move through the jhana, it's not really so much a question of getting new things as dropping away of certain things. The mind's becoming more still and simple. So two jhana factors have dropped away, thought and examination. Three remain, rapture, pleasure, and unification of mind. And a new element, intercomposure, is added. Would someone care to read the, the, the simile, just that paragraph where it says the meditator, you see what the simile is there? Anyone care to read that? Yes, please. The meditator attains the second jhana and again pervades the body, this time with rapture and pleasure born of concentration. He makes the rapture and pleasure born of concentration drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Just as though there were a lake whose waters welled up from below and it had no inflow from east, west, north, or south and would not be replenished from time to time by showers of rain, then the cool fount of water welling up in the lake would make the cool water drench, steep, fill, and pervade the lake so that there would be no part of the whole lake unpervaded by cool water. So too, a bhikkhu makes the rapture and pleasure born of concentration, drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body, so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Okay. So the first jhana was born of seclusion. Now the second jhana, you've already... We don't have to worry about being so secluded from... Whole, we've already got the sort of the protection of the first jhana, so the second one is sort of born out of the concentration of the jhana of the first jhana, is how it's understood. Um, so that ne- really that vitakin vichara of the first jhana, that was that needing function, is often the way it's understood. There's that activity of mind. We don't need that anymore. It's dropped away. So here we've got the like it's cool water. It's kind of, there's still some activity it can fill with the rain, so it's not perfectly still, but much more still, much more immersed now, completely in a lake, right? It's not just a bath powder, but it's a lake, so it's just even deeper, I think, is what it's trying to say. And less of a sense of doing, and more of just being in the state, right? And it's also this image of welling up from within. It says something there, um, welling up the cool fount of water welling up in the lake. So it's kind of something deep from within coming in. Just just pointing out some things from the image. Um, so this term that I translated as inner composure, which is now thing it's highlighting, it's actually various, it's, it's the word is sampasadana uh, uh, if you're interested. I don't think that's in your notes. And it's it means... So I said inner composure also means tranquility, and it's variously translated as self-confidence. I think Gill translates it that way. Internal assurance. No, he calls it serene purity, which is another thing. So different ways you can translate it. 
But if you think of a serene purity, a tranquility, a self-confidence, an internal assurance, and a, all of these together, and inner composure, I just thought inner composure kind of captured a lot of that as for one word. Um, Concentration is mentioned twice here. It was not mentioned in the first, but now the power of the samadhi is, is mentioned. Um, first it says, um, again, um, uh, born of concentration. And the second one is not concentration, but the singleness of mind, which is so intimately connected with concentration. That just gives us, so the mind's settling down. Mainly it's the concentration is emphasized and the Vitakavi char dropping away. Um, okay. By the way, just as an aside, there's an alternate alternate scheme for the jhanas. It's not in your notes. That's mentioned just in a few places in the suttas. It's sort of in between the first and second jhana. So the first jhana has Vitakavi chara. The second jhana has lost Vitakavi chara. Those jhana factors. There's one in between. They don't call it a which. With Vitaka, without Vitaka, but with Vichara. And it's just as like two or three places where it's just kind of popped in there. And it doesn't give any explanation. So who knows where that came from? But you should just be aware it's in there a couple places, kind of in the corners. So if you saw so on page seven of your notes, we're going to keep going a little bit here. I wonder if someone would read. Both the definition again and then that uh, and the simile. I mean, I'm happy to do it, but it seems like, you know, it kind of breaks up just hearing the same voice coming at you. The, the third jhana, with the fading away of rapture. He abides in equanimity, mindful and clearly aware, feeling pleasure with the body. He enters and abides in the third jhana, of which the noble ones declare, equanimous and mindful, he abides in pleasure. Upon entering the third jhana, the simile continues. He makes the pleasure divested of rapture, drench, steep, fill and pervade this body so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pleasure divested of rapture. Just as in a pond of blue or red or white lotuses, some lotuses that are born and grow in the water thrive immersed in the water without rising out of it. And cool water drenches, steeps, fills and pervades them to their tips and their roots so that there is no part of all the, those lotuses unpervaded by cool water. So too, a bhikkhu makes the pleasure divested of rapture, drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body, so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pleasure divested of rapture. Hmm. Thank you. You just feel it, huh? Because she read it so beautifully that you could... It, it, uh, so, um, so now, just as from the going from the first to the second jhana, the vitaka vichara jhana factors dropped away. From the second to the third, the piti, the bliss, dropped away. 
So it's more settled. It's just the sukha, the happiness. Or here I call it the pleasure because it's connected with the body. It's emphasizing the connection with the body again very much here. And this image of, is now of, of, of it's not even like it's these lotuses. They're just they're they're born and they live their whole lives just completely immersed in this water. There's no doing anymore. It's just a state of being. And so, in the same way, these jhana factors are just are just so permeated throughout the body. So this emphasis on the body. Uh, is very, very important. And it's a much more settled because the sukha is just a, is, is, is much calmer than the piti. You know, at some point, you know, people often, it's like, oh, I want to get the bliss, I want the bliss. And after a while, it's kind of agitating a little. It's too much. The mind wants to settle down, and, and it's, it's, so it naturally can kind of drop off and the, and the mind settle. Um. Three new elements that are not considered jhana factors are introduced in the formula. There's equanimity, mindfulness, and clear awareness, which is also the clear awareness is also known as clear comprehension. So here, it's really emphasizing um, the mindfulness, right? It says it's emphasizing equanimity because it said in the definition it says he abides in equanimity, mindful and clearly aware. And in the end, the noble ones declare equanimous and mindful. So this equanimity and mindfulness. So the jhana and the mindfulness are very intimately connected. They're not separate things, right? I mean, it's not. If you're if you're not having deep, profound mindfulness and clear awareness, you're not. You're having a, some kind of different experience than what the tech, than what they're saying is a jhana. That's you know you could probably have other kind of experiences, right? It's like it's an imponderable, like uh, Steve was saying, but it wouldn't be a jhana. Um, so I point that out. Also, it's important on equanimity. There's a range of meanings for equanimity. It can refer to two different kind of main meanings. It can refer to sort of a neutrality of feeling. So the experience is neither pleasant nor pleasant. That's one neutral feeling. And the second, it can be non-reactivity. And that's really what it's talking about here. Where even if there were pleasant, well, matter of fact, it's telling you you're having quite pleasant in the body. So you're experiencing that pleasant, but the mind is, is not reactive about it. It's not a lack of sensation. And this mindfulness, I just want to say again, it's, it, it's present in all the jhanas, but it really comes to the forefront here in the definition. But if you remember back in the Anapada Sutta, there were those 11 qualities that it said were in all the jhanas, and mindfulness was one of those. But here it's just, I think as things are settling down more, the, just the, the depth of the mindfulness is getting highlighted because it's really getting powerful, right? Okay. Okay. Let's take a quick look at the fourth jhana on page um, eight. Yeah. Is it important um, as you read this to discern the difference between pleasure born of concentration with the second jhana and the pleasure born? Of the body, 
So in the third John it says feeling pleasure with the body. Right. Not born of. It doesn't say born of the body. That's says, true. Right. Um, it, I, it, the identification of the source of the pleasure is um, intriguing to me. And I wanted to know, is that highlighted in the text? Well, we have the text right here, at least, at least my, def, my, my translation of it. But the main thing is, um, again, we're in the, so in the second jhana, so there's the rapture and pleasure, which is there all the way in those mm-hmm. early jhanas. They're mm-hmm. starting to drop away as things are getting quieter. Mm-hmm. So in the first jhana, remember, it said born of seclusion. Because we had to have some, because because just before the first jhana, we're still liable. We're, we're pretty close to being able to connect with the sense pleasures and with all the things that distract the mind and hindrances. So there has to be some level of seclusion. And so once you get in that initial seclusion, that's that's what it's emphasizing. And how almost anybody I've ever heard, the way I would take it too, it's it's referring you've, you've secluded from all that and you've made it to the first jhana. Now out of that concentration of the first jhana, so born of concentration, we can get into the rapture and pleasure of the second jhana as the vitaka vichara drop away. So that's kind of the sources. Here in the third jhana, it doesn't tell you the source. It just says feeling pleasure with the body. It's just saying it's happening. So it's emphasizing because what's also what's happening is the bliss, the, the, the rapture, the piti, can be so strong. It's sort of like you can't see the moon if the sun's up. Mm-hmm. Sun goes down, well, there's a moon. It's actually pretty bright and it's big. Or sometimes you don't even see stars because the moon, you can see the brightest stars. And then you, the su- moon goes away and even subtler stars. That's kind of what's happening in these states. I'm just talking experientially now. It's not saying this in the text. Right? So the, the, the grosser experiences are dropping away and it's allowing the subtler experiences that were there to, re- to be revealed more. And so I, I suppose part of my question came from the fact that an hour and a half ago you were talking about the um, way the body falls away and now the body is back as a source of pleasure and I was trying to bring this together in the jhanas. Right. But what I said was, in Vasudhi Magha jhana, they say that you can't feel the jhana. We're in the suttas now. Okay, thank you. That's, that's Remember, clarifying. So this is starting to get to the point where you already can see when we get to the, this afternoon where we're really going to go into all these kind of questions and we're going to look in more depth. We're laying the foundation now to be able to do it. That, you know, when there's teachers out there saying, you've got to get jhana, we're going to get to see where they're coming from. And, and when you get that jhana, it's going to look a specific way. And other teachers are saying, yes, jhana, but it looks a different way. And other teachers are saying, no, 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 forget jhana. You just be mindful moment by moment. With, you know, and, there's, and we're trying to sort of lay out the landscape. And then we'll see where within that terrain all the different teachings land and where we would like to be. And then when we know where we want to go, rather than just kind of not knowing and we're hearing this and that and we go along, we can actually make some choices you may not, you know, maybe you just keep practicing how you've been practicing or whatever. Um, so that's kind of where we're going. So um, basically, one of the controversies is whether, you, whether there's any awareness of the body in jhana. So, and we're going to look, well, how can the Vasudhi Maga, because here, it's telling us jhana, but, but what is the Vasudhi Maga saying and how people, matter of fact, if you read in here, you just pull that, um, Ajahn Brahmavamsa here. I'll just read you something. Here's Ajahn Brahmavamsa in here. What does he have to say? Here he goes. 
So he's kind of a mix. It's very interesting because he says uh, he thinks that the city has completely got it wrong, but he does say that you can't feel your body. I'll just leave it at that. In John. So, you know, a lot of different interpretations, not just one way. Okay, where were we? Fourth jhana? You guys hanging in for a little bit more? We're going to have lunch. Before. We're not going to sit again. We're going to go eat some lunch. But I'd like to, if your mind can stay sharp enough, just get through the jhana so we can be done with that and then kind of lift out of this a little bit. Which We didn't just read the fourth jhana, did we? Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, would someone care to read the fourth jhana uh, definition and simile? Oh, that's what we were doing. Nobody was stepping forward to read it. Okay. Could you pass the mic down, please? Thank you. With the abandoning of pleasure and pain, and with the previous disappearance of joy and grief, he enters and abides in the fourth jhana, which has neither pain nor pleasure and purity of mindfulness and equanimity. Finally, upon attaining the fourth jhana, he sits pervading this body with a pure, bright mind, so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pure, bright mind. Just as though a man were sitting covered from head to foot with a white cloth, so that there would be no part of his whole body not covered by the white cloth. So, too, a bhikkhu sits pervading this body with a pure, bright mind so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pure, bright mind. Okay, thank you. Okay. Is that what the um, Tibetans would call a clear light? Um, I'm not qualified to try and map any of this onto that. It does, some of this language starts to sound like that, right? But um, I, I just don't, I just, I can't say. I don't know if anybody, maybe somebody out there could say. But you would have to have studied and, I would argue you would have to study and practiced both to really be able to answer that. But it sounds kind of like that kind of language. And, you know, really, I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person who tends to look for unity everywhere, even though it may not, even places it may not be. And so I kind of say, well, you know, all these different traditions, and, but there's really, you know, it's not, we don't have to argue with each, but I, I actually don't know if that's true. Just a few things to bring up here. So it's really come to this, a couple of things. So now uh, there's no mention of, of uh, with abandoning of pleasure, this is interesting, pleasure and pain and the previous disappearance of joy and grief. The pleasure and pain seems to be more, it doesn't say that, but more in the body and the joy and grief is more mental. You int- so 
And so it's interesting, you enter and abide in the fourth John, and so it has neither pleasure nor pain and purity of mindfulness and equanimity. So now it's talking about, you, you don't even feel pleasure and pain, so it's, it's both kinds of equanimity. The neutral feeling, you're, but the joy and grief, also the non-reactivity, are there very strongly. Right? And so, and now it's just this pure bright mind covering the whole body. From an experiential point of view, these are the kind of places where it's still talking about the body, but the, this isn't the text saying it, but the experience of the body now is getting kind of thin. Maybe, because maybe if, you, if your body is a body of light or something, or, or pure energy, or dissolving it, you know, it, it's, this is where some of the insights can come in where you can start to see the impermanence and where it can come right out of the, the state itself, maybe happening. So that, that's just my own commentary. Um, yeah. No doing, just being. So, those are the four jhanas. Well, Richard, you have... Um this section with the four jhanas all in um, quotation marks, but I don't see a sutta reference. I wonder if you could give us that or point it out to me. Where, where you can find the definitions? Yeah, like these. Right. The uh, first do you want me to just call it out to you? Yeah. Um, Let me yeah, f- it's not on here. Yeah, there's a bunch of places. Let me just give you some examples. I have to look at look up. Just hold on a moment. Uh, Uh, sorry, just one moment. Oh, sorry, I was looking in the wrong place. Here we go. Um, this is chapter one. Got to buy a book. <laughs> on sale, oh, okay. on sale, right? No, no, I'm just, I'm just. Right. I just was. <laughs> hey, you can take one for free if you want, right? They're offered on a on a basis. Uh, let me see here. Uh, here we go. 29. Here's some spots. This is not everywhere. Uh, Dikanakaya 2.75-81. Dikanakaya 11. Dikanakaya 12. Dikanakaya 22.21. Majjhimanakaya 141.31. Anguttaranakaya 3.88. Samyutta Nakaya 45.8. And then with the similes, so that, uh, just one more quick thing, hold on. Uh, let me see if I can find the. Hold on a second. Um, come up. Um, sorry, just come up on the break if anybody wants, and 
uh, I can give you. There's, it's, a, it's a bunch of places more. Uh, so, so I'm not a, sure if the okay. similes are in all those ones I just gave you. Right. Those are more the definitions. Some of those I might understood. have a simile with it, too. All right. They'll all have the same definition. Of course, if you look them up, you're going to have whichever translator's definition is in there. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yes, sir. So for those of you who are hungry, hang in there. We're, we're, we're getting close. So uh, well, I'm trying to understand the last part of the definition where it says neither pain nor pleasure. Right. Impurity of mindfulness and equanimity. Yes. Is what remains then is purity of mindfulness and equanimity, or is that what also dropping away? No, no. Uh, you wouldn't say the equanimity is dropping away because, I mean, it's not an active quality, but if you were just trying to use some words to describe the state, you would have to say it's characterized by equanimity because there's certainly um, um, an utter non-reactivity. And you're not even having the feelings. And, and again, like people describe sometimes sitting like, you know, you know, the body feels like it's just a body of light. It's not even that you've lost awareness of the body, but that maybe the body's just light. Actually, you get, it gets kind of subtle because you can get into states where this experience that's very much um, penetrated deeply into the body and an experience where the Vasudhimaga saying you've lost a connection with the body kind of aren't that far apart because here the body's kind of what's it's hard to describe right it gets subtler and subtler anyway you know if the body's dissolving away into light for example uh, it's not much so these are subtle states and remember we're using words to try we're just looking at what the texts say and we're not going to really get it exactly right and it's experienced differently for different people a little bit too. Some people might have the experience of light, and it comes, comes from a visual sense door. Actually, this is an important point I should just mention. Remember we said nimitta in the Vasudhimaga, which is this, you be, we're jumping around here. Remember, you would say be with the breath, and then a light would come in the mind, and then you would put your attention onto that light as your object, as the nimitta. I mentioned that earlier, and that was the way you would get into the jhana. In this, nimitta is any sign that accompanies concentration. So any time you've ever meditated in your life, if you've gotten to this point in your practice, I don't know, some of you may be new, and you've had any experiences where you felt concentrated, where samadhi's happening, how did you know you were concentrated? You had some kind of experience. You might have felt spacious or a stillness, or it could be very pleasant, right, or... A mind, some, you just know that the mind's concentrated. All of those ways that you know, those are the experiences of the state. Those are the, that's the nimittas of the state. And it can come through any of the senses. Some people will never see a light. And there's nothing wrong. You're just as concentrated. It just doesn't come through the visual. Maybe neurons fire differently in the brain. or I don't know. It could be just in the body. Maybe it's all body sensations or vision or sound. Some people hear bells going off and celestial. I mean, it can just be all kinds of things. It goes back to this uh, imponderable. There's many, many different ways you can experience the nimitta. Right? So it's not just experience. So when the body's starting to get subtler and subtler, what's, you know, how we experience that, it may be, I've heard people say, you know, they feel like you know, they're just breathing in and out light. And some people, it's not there's no not a visual image there. It's more more tactile kind of. Even if the, what does that mean when the body's dissolving away? It's getting subtle. I don't know. I don't know. We're t- it's it's hard. Words are breaking down at this point. 
even though they got to say something. Okay. Yeah, here. I'm struck by the uh, complete lack of sense of time in any of these descriptions, whether, uh, which begs the question, can one progress through, does one even need to progress through, can they, can the fourth jhana uh, be experienced without the first three, do yeah. they go, can you go through them rapidly, do they last a long time, can they last just a very short time, all of those kinds of. Right. Yes, so they can last different periods of time, although it gets controversial. So if any of you have practiced with a teacher who would actually be a personal friend of mine and a good teacher named Lee Brasington, he's had an interesting conversation. I think he even says in here, you know, sometimes he, he's talked about a level of jhana that other people have said, oh, that's not really jhana and, and all that stuff. Well, he'll say, no, but you can be popping in and out. You know, you can be in for a few seconds and pop out and everything. I would say if you're popping in and out in a few seconds, it's not jhana. But you know what? I can legitimately say that. He can legitimately say that. So we, it's not a right or wrong. So it's the time. I don't know. Um, just a quick quote here um, from the Buddha. As far as go, working through, you, you, so I think I don't know if you could. I can't. It's not, I can't make a categorical statement that no one could ever pop right into the fourth John without going through them. Maybe it'd take a Buddha to, to really be able to say that. But I want to say basically, you know, it, it's a progression that, that goes through, but it could happen quickly or it could take a lot of time. It, I think for most people, you kind of tend to, it, it opens, it, I don't know what gradual is, but, you know, it takes some time. But also, um, uh, the Buddha said... Well, there's a nice image in here that I like. Do you think I'd be able to find these things? I've got to tab them. Uh, where he said it's like a, uh, if you try to move too quick, fast through the jhanas, he says it's like a foolish cow <laughs> that, uh, li- that lived in the mountain. And before the cow was uh, familiar with its own pasture, it said, what's over there? And it too soon went to wander to other pastures and it wouldn't be able to find its way back or it wouldn't know its footing. It's, you've got to learn the terrain and then move to further terrain and learn that terrain. So time, uh, you know, Christina Feldman in here said her, one of her first teachers defined first jhana. It's in here. She says uh, she wanted, he wanted people to leave a pair of shoes outside the monastery door because in case it burned down because you wouldn't know because he defined first jhana as being able to sit for two days with no experience of the body or any outward sensation. So that's a pretty high standard. Even Powak, you know, he wants you to maybe two or three hours or something. So, you know, that's pretty, you know. Somebody emailed me, you know, this book's out there. So he said, well, you know, I practice in Chan meditation, and my master says you have to be able to sit in full lotus for 12 hours and your heart's, and stop your heart or it's not jhana. And so I was back and I just said, I just said, uh, oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> and I hope your practice goes well and thank you for emailing me. And he says he's been practicing, oh, that's right, he stopped emailing me because he said he's been practicing for 25 years. And I said, well, you know, you ought to come practice with me because we're going to get you to sit real comfortably and you don't have to stop your heart and you know, see what happens. Maybe, and then he's out the end, so... <laughs>
we have to mention, and then we're going to end, I wanted to finish uh, what we're going to say about John and the Vasudhi Maga now will be very brief when we come back after lunch because it's just a few minor tweaks until we get to the controversies later. But we won't, uh, we'll just do that quickly. I just want to mention there are three divergent paths in the suttas. It actually says that in your notes. Um, and uh, once you've attained the four jhanas, there are three paths. One path is you can go on to these higher formless attainments. There's four of them. Some people call them formless jhanas, but in the suttas they're not called jhanas. Uh, they're just called, there's only four jhanas in the suttas. And then there's these formless attainments that are um, where it's called the, 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 the base of uh, boundless space and then the base of boundless consciousness. And then there's... Um, um, nothingness, if I remember, and then there's uh, neither perception nor non-perception. What's that? <laughs> so uh, there's these formless attainments. That's one path. We'll see when we look at the Vasudhi Maga how they call them. Sometimes they're called formless jhanas or different ways. Um, in the, the second path after jhana that's in the suttas is uh, there's all these psychic powers you can get, and they list them all out, and uh, they're all in there, talked about quite a bit in the suttas, um, so that's another path, and then the third path, which is the one that's most important in the suttas, is the path of insight, liberation, enlightenment, so that's just, as a, so you just are aware, there's these, that's what's in the suttas after jhana, yes, Steve, and then we'll go for lunch. So, when you... Talk about a path that leads somewhere. So we all know that the third path, development of insight, leads to uh, liberation and the deathless. What do the other two lead to? Um, the formless leads to attainment of the formless, formless states in and of themselves. That's the goal of the path. And the powers lead to the powers. I mean, that's the goal of the path. Uh, if you were to go in, if you were to develop those. Um, uh, the suttas often lay them out when they, when they try to kind of put a complete listing of the path. Those are in there because they're part of what, you know, people may or may not have experienced them or believe you can develop them, but, but, but they are there in the text. Um, but it's clear from the text that, th- that those are not necessary. They're not part of the path of, of liberation. It's that the insight and the suttas are pretty clear about that. But they're there. It's just mapping out part of what's possible in the terrain of the mind. Okay, so let's have lunch.